This episode of Lightning Strikes Thrice is brought to you by our incredible patrons, patrons like the Bear Friend Tea Party and Joanne Rittenauer. If you want to help us keep making this show like they do, you can visit pitchdrop.cash and contribute as little as a buck a month. We really appreciate it. listening to lightning strikes thrice the jrpg games club podcast that ought to junction silence to their status defense this is season nine episode one covering the development and generalities for final fantasy eight for the ps1 i am your host matt marcus my pronouns are he him and with me today is sybil arnett she her ryan Beatty, they them uh chris couldn't make it this season because he is busy uh fundraising for adam smith's re-election campaign so <laughs> he's auditioning uh, for that extra slot on the Adam Freeland show. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah, he's a very busy man. Anyway, development. So I mean everyone has heard of this game, I'm sure, if you're in the JRPG space, but we'll we'll go through this as quickly as possible. Final Fantasy VIII was produced by Squaresoft and released in 1999 on the PS1. Work began in 1997 with Yoshinori Kitase, who had been directing the series since Final Fantasy V. Uh, he ended up taking on a little bit of a larger role as series creator Hironobu Sakaguchi focused his attention on the infamous failure that was the Final Fantasy movie, The Spirits Within. The battle system, which is a thing we will talk about a lot, especially this episode, uh, was designed by Hiroyuki Ito, the creator of the active time battle system that defined Final Fantasy since the fourth game. And he also designed the Final Fantasy Tactics system. I I have a question about that because um what do you know what exactly what that means? Because the Final Fantasy Tax Tactics system is really like imported largely from from Tactics Ogre, which is something that the five like quest exile developers who moved over to Square developed while they were still at Quest. So what do do you know what that what Ito's involvement in the Final Fantasy Tactics system is? Uh, not in super depth. My guess is he probably led that team. Okay. If you're right, that it's mostly like borrowed from other players, other Yeah, he's just credited as systems. designer on that game. That's probably why. Okay. Yeah, okay. yeah. So actually, we'll, we'll refer that. He, he led the design team for the Final Fantasy Tactics system, but he probably didn't create the actual systems. <laughs> He absolutely did not create the actual system. I, you know, it. I, I have no doubt that he was a, a main designer on that game. But just, yeah, it's. I, mm-hmm. uh, we, Matsuno Erasure. I will not tolerate. <laughs> Speaking of uh, Erasure, one of the game's most defining features, the Triple Triad card game, was created by Kentaro Yasui. Originally supposed to just be a side game, sort of like many of the Gold Saucer events in FF7, Yasui begged to allow the cards to be turned into items, and as a result, the entire game goes in a whole different direction. Uh Uh-huh. Music was done by, of course, at this point, Nobuo Uematsu, 
And the most notable thing about it is the fact that we are now at the point in the PS1's life where people can use real instruments instead of synth patches, including live orchestral performances and guitar, which, if you know anything about modern Uematsu, is no surprise. Mm -hmm. The most famous track from this game is the romantic ballad Eyes on Me, sung by Fei Wong, uh, at the time, and for many years after, it was the highest-selling video game music CD. An orchestral arrange album called Fithos Lusek Wekos Vinosek FF8 came out in 1999, which, according to my co-hosts, rules. It rules. <laughs> I just have to say that, like, as a kid, he, hearing eyes on me fucking sucked. I have come around to it. <laughs> in later years but um you know knowing nobuo uematsu as the like jrpg composer extraordinaire and then hearing his version of like a sappy pop song at an age or i was way more into limp Bizkit than i was into sappy pop songs <laughs> like i fucking hated eyes on me so hard every single time someone started singing in my jrpg i was like get the fuck out of here i was so grumpy at <laughs> Look- it it's fine now. I'm I'm in agreement with you in the sense of like I don't like big like soaring ballads like this. That's just mm-hmm. never been my thing. Like I've never like I don't like Celine Dion. I don't like Josh Groban. Like that style of song just really misses me. It's very popular in certain parts of the world. And I could see why this song went big, especially with like a big pop star at the time behind it. But yeah, I'm in total agreement with you. I didn't like it at all. It's probably my one of my least favorite tracks on the soundtrack. It's just mm-hmm. everything else around it is like really good and like pretty diverse. And it probably its success probably paved the way for Simple and Clean as well. So, <laughs> you know, I swear I have never heard that song. Or I might have looked it up once and I completely forgot it. Simple and Clean fucking it fucks. Simple and Clean fucks. Anyway, Also, okay, yeah, we stan a non-binary pop star. Anyway, Mm. so the overall aesthetics of the game, it was like a marked shift in the way that Final Fantasy looked. And it was intentionally a mashup of modern style at, so modern as of 1998 when they were, when they were developing it with future technology to aid in this realism they used full-sized character models both in and outside of battle unlike the chibi versions uh, outside of battle in final fantasy 7 there is no super deformation uh, whatsoever unless you count the disgusting things that the playstation does to polygon rendering <laughs> the fmv scenes were also uh, motion captured yeah, hmm. I had thought that the character model like animations were also motion captured. They're not. Those are actually hand drawn animations, mm-hmm. which surprised me a little bit now because some of them are pretty natural looking, at least more than you'd expect for the time. But yeah, like the cutscenes still look like pretty good, even though everyone has that really like porcelain sheen to the characters. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And they're very porcelain sheen for a specific reason. <laughs> <laughs> the characters and settings were designed to look European. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Uh, Squall in particular was modeled after River Phoenix, which I also did not know. Yeah, it's one of those things where I like I looked up photos of River Phoenix when I found that out. I went like, 
really? And there's like one picture of River Phoenix in a leather jacket where I can kind of see the resemblance. Mm. Uh, but it's it's pretty loose. Interesting. Okay. So uh, Tetsuya Nomura, who's done both character and monster design for Final Fantasy back into the Super Famicom days, uh, this, you know, he was like, this is kind of where the signature no- Tetsuya Nomura style starts to really shine through in Final Fantasy games with the character mm-hmm. design. Uh, but what's interesting is uh, certain character designs were actually originally designed for Final Fantasy VII, and then when those characters were scrapped, they were ported into Final Fantasy VIII. Uh, one of those designs was Idea, who is just like so many Nomura signifiers within mm-hmm. this witch character. You know, it's, it's, it's a hot goth lady. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. You know, it's also you're starting to see the belts come mm-hmm. in a lot because like Squall has like three tourniquets on his left leg for uh-huh. no reason. <laughs> you're like, starting I'm to willing see to forgive the, the cross Uh-huh. Like I can forgive his like cross belt with the bullets in it cuz like it's kind of you could say oh that goes with a gun blade, but the leg thing i don't like there's no knife there it's not like a holster for anything it's just hey well, no, that's for his pistol blade i'm sorry pistol okay. dagger <laughs> pistol dagger uh just pistol shank yeah one of the interesting thing about squall's design too is that the fur collar that is on his jacket was specifically added as a challenge to the animators of the cg work to be like hey can you animate this in a fluid motion uh, like it was kind of a bit of uh, I think it was Nomura who put it in being like, hey, guys, why don't you like try this? this Nomura is- famously uh-huh. has an antagonistic relationship with the CG department at Square. <laughs> <laughs> we both yeah. know that story, right? I'm trying to remember which one. Lulu. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Pull the same shit up with Lulu. Yeah, but all the That's belts. why she has a dress made entirely of belts, just to fuck with the CG team who told him, this is a little much. And he went, no, this is a little much. <laughs> <laughs> I, I can't. I'm not sure whether or not I respect that move or not. Because part of me is like, that's a really stupid design. And people like point to Lulu being like, oh, Nomura is a hack and doesn't know how to design things. But if it was a joke on purpose or like, semi-spiteful like yeah the story is that it got ramped up to that degree because of the fact that the cg team were like this is this is not a thing that should be done in real time man and he's like oh you i'll show you what you're gonna do in real time (laughs) yeah what a little pretty funny (laughs) uh anyway aside from the ps1 version which is the one we're gonna like focus probably most of our attention on even though i'm sure we're all playing the remaster the original version of the game was released for pcs in 2000 i've heard some bits about it being a little janky like i don't know if it's like music doesn't play right yo it is broke i played it okay yeah. <laughs> okay uh, i i couldn't find any like specific reference to it but like like how is it broken okay so in short We didn't have a team who was very PC-centric doing those. I Mm -hmm. don't know if there's an actual credit for it, but I believe it was outsourced because there was really no in-house team for that at the time. 
and they take a lot of quality hits. You do not have the music coming over cleanly. Mm. Yeah. They do not have support for remapping controls in any reasonable way. Uh, controllers, I don't know if there's actual support for them because it's 2000 on Windows. Um, I wasn't playing on one at the time. I was still in my keyboard and mouse supremacy phase. The game <laughs> has a lot of stuttering issues. Quitting the thing is usually an Alt-F4 move. <laughs> oh, no. And it's it's also doing your saves as a digital memory card. Oh. So, like, and you mentioned here it includes the Chocobo World minigame from the Pocket Station, which has to yeah. be run as a separate app that takes mm-hmm, your data mm-hmm. from those virtual memory cards to load up and edit. Wow. Yeah, for for folks who, like, maybe weren't necessarily conscious of the vast <laughs> differences between PC and console technology and the way that they were actually built back in the late 90s, because, you know, now, essentially, consoles are built out of the same stuff, uh, out of the same guts as PCs are. It's just, it's a dedicated system. But, like, you know, the PlayStation... Building and designing a game in PlayStation was a totally different language, a totally different set of skills, uh, totally different like prioritizations, different resource requirements. It's just like it was a totally different environment. And so to half-ass the PC ports of these or, you know, to assign PC ports to folks who like just didn't really understand the PC world necessarily created a significant impact it's there it's 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 really hard to kind of describe exactly how different console and pc development were back in this era yeah and one thing to note that's actually very funny i like this game was you know it was brought over to ps1 classics on the ps3 and you could play it on your vita and i think your psp but like the source code for this game got lost so mm-hmm. eventually, uh, later on, there's a remastered version with upscaled graphics and several quality of life improvements that was released in September 2019 on all major consoles and PC. And it actually got iOS and Android ports in March of 21. But those were built off of the PC version of the game because the original source code was lost, which is wow surprising that that happened. No, it's not. If you're aware of... <laughs> So many stories out of Squaresoft in the late 90s to early 2000s. We lost the source code. We didn't archive this is such a regular instance. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We don't have the first Chocobo's Dungeon because they lost the code and couldn't give it to the U.S. team to do anything with. We had to redo Kingdom Hearts 1 from scratch for the HD collections because we didn't archive any of that. We... So many stories out of this era are learning all the lessons the hardest possible way up to and including the development of FF10, which is basically a sheer nightmare of localization and technical debt. (laughs) God. Uh, Yeah, I mean, it's rough stuff. I mean, like, it surprises me that that is the case. But also these guys, like these games were coming out fast and furious for like a stretch of time like when when did final fantasy 7 drop was it in 97 97 it was 97 yeah. yeah but like these were coming out very quickly and for 
the amount of work that went into them, I'm sure there was a lot of like, ah, we'll just keep rolling and wipe the drives and start over. And you have to remember, we're not just talking about the modern square where they are the final fantasy factory. This is an era where we could do years of shows on nothing but Square's output. They were putting mm-hmm. out RPGs so fast and so quickly. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. There was the summer of our, the summer of adventure, I believe, was the campaign where they put no less than five games out mm-hmm. in this genre. That's wild. Yeah. Anyway, the one real notable thing also on the remastered version is that they decided to redesign Squall in a way that looks absolutely terrible. This is some real, like, look at how they massacred my boy hours, because he just looks so wrong. <laughs> I'm pulling it up. I don't... Really? It, mm. Hold on. It's not Let me that... see if I can find the, the comparison photo. It's so different. Because there was one image I saw It's uh, that's like the three different... Oh, images. wow. Yeah, it's a completely different chin. Okay. Yeah. It's it's different chin. It's like the eyes are bigger. The hair is way more mm-hmm. uh, like Kingdom Heartsy in the way it sort of yeah. falls. It looks yeah. so, and his skin tone is less pink. It's more pale. Right. He looks whiter okay. now. So, like, I think I think what I my like really is it that different thing is mostly just because we don't really look at the CG squall that often. Like, you know, there are whatever, it's like a half hour no. cut se- of CG cutscenes in this game, but like the polygonal version, the face is so mangled in the PlayStation version that it was hard for me to like tell side by side the differences there. But yeah, the CG face is extremely different. That's gross. Yeah. Yeah. It's just weird that they designed redesigned one character and left everything else the same. Like you look at everybody else and like they just look like they smoothed them out a little bit. Mm-hmm. And it's funny because like there is a I think someone was working on a mod to change the remastered squall back into a version that looks like the original, a little bit more like the original. And uh I if I was playing on PC, I would use that because yeah. <laughs> to me it looks really gross, but also I, you know, I've played this game a lot. Yeah. But yeah, speaking of which, uh, so what are y'all's um, background with the game? I mean, you know, I'm assuming you've all played this before. So, like, before we get into that, there is something in the development section that I want to touch on. Okay. That it cannot be understated how hyped this game was. Final Fantasy VII catapulted Square into, like, the rarefied annals of you know, what people thought of as a prestige game. It was massively popular. It was, you know, the biggest selling RPG in the States. And people were previewing Final Fantasy VIII, like getting extremely hype over E3 and Tokyo Game Show footage. It really, it could be compared to the hype that people had for Cyberpunk 2077 before that all fell apart when it was like the single most hyped game for like two entire years or whatever. And Square was pioneering this thing where in order to boost sales of mm-hmm. one of their games, they would package a demo of a hyped game in with it. And yeah. the Final Fantasy VIII demo came with Xenogears, which is extremely ironic because Xenogears was originally developed to be Final Fantasy VII before it became its own thing. But 
I believe that that drove kind of like um, the Metal Gear Solid 2 demo driving a lot of Zone of the Enders 1 sales because, you know, people weren't really that hyped for a mecha combat game in the States. I feel like packaging the Final Fantasy 8 demo in with Xenogears was like huge for Xenogears. And the demo was pretty substantial. It was like the whole Dalit invasion, basically. Yeah. So yeah. it was... Yeah. It was extremely sick. And that dovetails directly into my experiences with the game, which is why I kind of like wanted to bridge that gap because I was in middle school. I was like working these jobs to like save up a couple hundred bucks to get, you know, a, a PlayStation from Funko Land. I bought, you know, Mega Man Legends and Final Fantasy VII. And Final Fantasy VIII was like the first new game that I was hyped for that I was able to pre order. Because I, you know, I, I I got to Final Fantasy VII like a year, year and a half after it came out. Everyone had told me about how incredible it was or whatever. And I still fucking remember September 9th, 1999, 9-9-99, uh, which is when Final Fantasy VIII and the Sega Dreamcast were both launched in the States. Mm -hmm. I got the call that Funko Land had, had received my pre-order, but they were closing at 8, and I had jazz band practice until 7.30, and I called the store, and the manager of my local Funko Land sent his workers home and kept the store open for me past 8 as like a little 12-year-old or whatever, 13-year-old. And I was like, what? You didn't have to do that? Like, I could have waited till tomorrow. It's fine, but thank you so much. And I just remember he was like... Nah, man, I get it. It's Final Fantasy. <laughs> you gotta play it the day it comes out. <laughs> so that's my experience. Is is I I was hyped for this game. I pre-ordered this game. I bought it with my own goddamn money. I started playing it the day it came out, and it baffled me. I loved it, but it absolutely <laughs> baffled me because of how different uh -huh. it was from the Final Fantasies that came before, both in battle system and also in plot. I was like at the age where I loved convolutedness a lot. And so the fact that like none of the plot hangs together, there's a lot of really mm -hmm. cool individual pieces, but it, it, there's no cohesive hole there. It wasn't frustrating until later. I was like into it. I fucking remember I beat it and I watched the whole ending. And then I went to my friend's house with my PlayStation and beat Ultimisha again for him to be able to watch the final movie. Like, like this was mm. this this was a cultural event for me. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. But before we move on, I I didn't see anything about the Xenogears with uh with the demo, but Brave Fencer Musashi definitely had the Final Fantasy VIII demo uh, attached to it. One second um, here. Yeah, I don't know if it's like I don't remember Xenogears being like having a demo on it, but also I didn't buy Xenogears when it was current at the time. But I, it, in case uh, some keyboard warriors are getting getting geared up, it was definitely uh, included with Brave Fencer Musashi, which is a game no one remembers really. That game fucking rules, honestly. An extremely, extremely fun six out of ten. It's kind of a like dungeon crawler roguelike esque roguelite. Right? Uh, no, no. Um, the the dungeons are all bespoke. They're all like handcrafted dungeons. Okay. Okay. Um, there's like okay. 3D platforming in it, which is kind of gross and bad, but also great. It's it's an action RPG. 
Um, okay, right. so Final Fantasy VIII had several demos released. Okay, Brief Entry Musashi, also Pizza Hut. You're right. Mm-hmm. Where the Xenogears? Uh huh. Uh huh. Okay. How um, it was Xenogears? Huh? No, wait. I'm I'm getting there. I I see a link, but my uh internet, <laughs> my hotel internet's being gross. I'm reading it. Um. Okay, here's where uh, I. So, the Xeno Gears demo was on the Parasite mm-hmm. Eve was on Parasite Eve, and that disc that had the Xeno Gears demo also had the Final Fantasy VIII Dalit Invasion CG movie. So there's uh, the Xeno Gears okay. FF8. That's weird connection i apologize uh for getting that detail wrong but i knew that there was a connection there but yes i also got the demo from brave friends and musashi yeah i i did not know that the movie or like the cg scenes were put in that that's very funny uh especially Mm -hmm. considering how like i'm sure they took up a lot of memory oh yeah Sybil, how about you uh as i mentioned i briefly played the original very bad PC port of this. Uh, It should be mentioned, I did not have a console that did JRPGs until the PlayStation 2. So I did emulators for some things. There were occasional PC ports. But no, I was a PC warrior, mouse and keyboard supremacist, absolute asshole at this point in time. Uh, I you know I could run those SNES FFs on ZSNES version 0.24 where the wind sounds all came out like screaming wind chimes, so yeah that was good enough for me. That's how consoles sounded anyway, right? <laughs> <laughs> when you said your first game was something you bought in 1999, I quietly looked up. Hey, when was the first one? But oh right, nine years prior, I bought the Commander Keen trilogy. I registered my shareware. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> cool. Cool. Uh, yes. Commander Keen is, is like the first video game I re- or computer game I remember playing because my dad had the freeware versions and I definitely played all three of those games and Duke Nukem 3D when I was like six years old or whatever. I bought it and then I remember waiting four weeks for that disc to arrive mm. <laughs> because my check had to get there, had to be processed it had mm-hmm. to be packed and had to be sent back to me. Yeah. That sucked. But yes, I've I've never finished this game. This is, ah. I am on this season to try and force myself through it. Because I live with people who are, well, I live with one person who is very fond of it. I don't know if the other has any strong opinion on FF8. And it's like, I clearly you see something in this, but this game's pacing, the thing that killed it the last time I tried playing this was that I reached the prom scene after the first mission and the combination of the fact that the engine didn't seem to allow text boxes and actions to run at the same time, making everything take twice. I'm watching out for it this time, but I'm pretty sure there's a part where text is up then it dismisses it and someone waves their hand and then another text box comes up rather than having these load simultaneously because of how the scripting works wow maybe i'm wrong but maybe that's a pc thing watch watch out for that 
Okay, I'll keep an eye on it because I know there are times when you have like the text boxes and like the character animations at the same time. But maybe that is specific to that event. That's very funny. I'm going to be watching for it as we play. All right. Yeah. So like much like with Ryan, like this game, this is probably like the most important game for me personally. Like this is the game that made me the person that I am today in a lot of ways. Like it imprinted on me something fierce. And like, it's been a long time coming for me to, you know, play this game for the show. But I, I've played like the first disc probably 10 times. And part of the problem was I didn't finish this game until like 2017 because my memory card for the PlayStation is, uh, I think it's a Ryko, R-Y-K-O. It's a third party one. I still have it. But for whatever reason, it would just get wiped every now and then. So like I had like playthroughs that have made it to disc four, just get wiped. And then I had to start over again. So I've played this game like the first, like one, to two discs a whole lot. And then only got through the end recently, like on my Vita back in 2017, but I still have that memory card. I still have my most recent save on it, which I did something really stupid, like power level squall to level 42. By the time the assassination uh, plot kicked in, <laughs> that's not the dumbest thing I've done, but it's one of the dumbest things I've done. Like, I, I had the Brady guide. Like, I read it more than I played it. Uh, like, this game why just sunk into me something fierce. Why didn't you just buy an official Sony memory card? They Like, like all of the OEM aftermarket memory cards, they were notorious for being unreliable and shitty. You know, I just... I don't know. I didn't have like at that point, I didn't have a job. I didn't, you know, didn't have enough money to go out and buy one. And I just was like, I already have a thing that works. And it, this happened so infrequently that it wasn't like the end of the world. It was just very mm. frustrating for this specific game. This happened like twice, I think, or twice or oh, three times God. to me over the years. Yeah, I learned I learned back in the days of like the nes that basically any aftermarket accessory is is going to be just like full of points of failure and so i steered clear but also i was like you know i i had such a weird income structure as a tween and teen because uh this is some ryan Beatty lore here i was like um part of a group of like musical child prodigies that people wanted to like play at their weddings and corporate parties because we were young and extremely talented. And so I would just like get 200 bucks from playing the drums at somebody's wedding because it was a novelty that I was 13. And Mm -hmm. that's how I made all of my money until I was in college. You were in the fucking Partridge family. (laughs) <laughs> no, I was I was in a prestigious middle school jazz band. A public school, but still prestigious. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay, you were in the Yuppie Partridge family. <laughs> we were an inner city school, Sybil. Okay, you were in the urban partridge family. I'll use the right adjective. <laughs> yeah. Uh uh, but yeah, this was um this was my first Final Fantasy. This was my first JRPG after like Pokemon, I guess. Like I think I played Pokemon like the year prior for the first time. And 
like for a long time, the conversation was like, I'm like, oh man, I love Final Fantasy. That's my game. And then everyone's just like, Final Fantasy is trash. Final Fantasy VII is where it's at. And I'm like, oh, come on. And I, I never went back to Final Fantasy VII until like I tried it out in college. I didn't get past disc one and I haven't gone back. At some point, I'm going to play that game. But, wow. you know, wow. to me, like this was the game that defined game experiences to me for a while. And there's so much about it that I have like serious, like nostalgia glasses and Stockholm syndrome with it because I just know <laughs> this game so well because mm-hmm. I've played it so much and I thought about it so much. And I can see now that as an adult, like there's a lot of problems with it and we'll talk a lot about them. But yeah, I this game is a big deal to me. And it was very funny because I was like, now I'm a JRPG guy. So the next game I bought was Lunar 2, Eternal Blue Complete. And it was just like, what is this? This looks nothing like Final Fantasy. What is going on? And I stopped playing it. I still have that game, but uh, a lot of it got damaged in a like pipe burst in the basement while I was in college. So a lot of the feelies and stuff are destroyed, which sucks. But yeah, well, but th- it was this also game, like set me on a trajectory. Yeah, going going from SquareSoft style localization localization to go to going to um working design working style science. localization. Fucking like oh god, oh I... yeah, extremely different. Oh yeah, we didn't mention that this is um Alexander O. What was his last name? Smith. Alexander O. Smith did the localization, and it—I think for the most part, it's pretty incredible. Yeah, it's but compared to, especially compared to seven. Well, and especially with how disjointed the actual story is, like the the yeah. way he's a, he was able to like you know thread the needle, pretty impressive. I like Woolsey because I appreciate that Woolsey was doing what he was doing with extremely limited resources time and money Mm -hmm. but yeah this this is the first like sensically translated (laughs) big budget jrpg Mm -hmm. in a lot of ways it's like there's 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 no nothing gets like completely like bollocks in translation yeah yeah anything that's off is mostly a tone thing like chicken wuss what's up Mm -hmm. with that (laughs) King of the Hill had started by now. <laughs> yeah, but then you had, like, last game, you had Barrett saying, like, you know, swearing straight up. And it's like, why, why, why no, soften? No, he wasn't. We removed a lot of it and put symbols in place in various chunks but that originally. Close it down. We knew what they were saying. When, when my mom came downstairs was the one scene where he says shit in all caps with, like, a million exclamation marks. And she was so pissed at me. Why are you playing a game with a swear? <sighs> Mario wouldn't swear. Mario wouldn't attach a gun to his hand. Why can't you be more like that nice Mario boy? Threat neutralized. <laughs> Tango down.
So now into mechanics. Uh, a major thing you need to know about the underside of this game is that so much is tied to the RNG seed, down to animation effects in certain cutscenes. It is bonkers, and it basically makes this the bizarro Kawazu. It's the bad Kawazu. <laughs> <laughs> it is. There it, are. It, it has Kawazu vibes for sure. Now that I'm more familiar with Kawazu, yeah. absolutely, it has those vibes. Yeah, and like honestly, it's very funny. Like if you're interested in this game or like the way this game works, like watch a speed run of this because there's a lot that they do in it to manipulate the RNG seed to get certain things to happen. And they will like check how they are doing, like where they are in the seed by watching these cut seeds and like seeing how, like how many telephone poles went by, you know, on the train in this one scene. Cause that could tell you where you are is mm. wild. Yeah. I remember that being a run where I saw at least one revision of it. I'm unfamiliar with the current meta, but they were counting steps between battles running down the beach to try and make sure that they kept the seed where they wanted it. Yeah, because every time you step, uh, it, it advances the seed by one. There's a bunch of things that do that, and they have to keep track of all of it. It sounds absolutely like... I would speed run this game if it weren't like that, right? Because like... I like this game. I would like to play it again, you know, in shorter like runs, but like, yeah, that's just too much. You need like a program that you're running on a different computer to keep track of where you are. It's, it's ridiculous. This game uses a further revision of FF sevens variant on the active time battle system. But in this case, the gauges pause when you are in submenus, i.e. picking an item, choosing a spell, etc. You have the ability to run from battle by holding both of the trigger buttons, L2 and R2. Whether you escape is based on, of course, the RNG. Mm -hmm. But you can game this to succeed 100% of the time and not take damage, is open a submenu to pause everything, then start running. The game will continue checking the rolls in real time, but the gauges will be paused. Therefore, this will prevent anyone from mm. getting enough action to hit you. No, this yeah. this version is for cheats and losers who aren't in active mode the whole time. Fuck wait mode. <laughs> wait mode is for chump made fucks. I hate it. Is it is it only in wait mode? I thought wait mode was uh, once a turn comes up, the timer stops. I have to double yeah, but check that. I I because opening a command sub menu in active mode, I don't think stops the bars from filling. That's the whole point of active mode. The whole reason why I like active mode is because it like adds a time pressure to when I'm selecting commands because the game mm -hmm. keeps running in the background as I'm selecting commands. Yeah, the thing that sucks, though, if you're not like that is you end up collecting so many spells. So if you're looking for a specific spell to cast and it's like and you're not very like, you know, rearranging your spells in your menu beforehand, like you could end up like getting owned pretty hard if you're just, you know, that's it. Yeah. That's exactly what I love. That's what I'm looking for. That's what I want. That's what okay. I like. Okay. Fair enough. <laughs> I should have expected this. Like, come on. It's Ryan Beatty. <laughs> it's true. It's true. It's true. So in this game, you do, you gain both experience points and ability points, AP from battles. 
This distinction is important because the enemies level up with the party, which means that grinding for levels is essentially pointless because they will always be the same experience level as you. If this you read mean... this in Western terms, it's oblivion. Yeah, it's a, mm -hmm. yeah. This does not mean, though, that leveling up has no benefits because the like caliber of enemy spell and item drop is tied to level. And so you can go through this game with some level one shit, but it's going to severely hinder like the actual benefits that you get from fighting battles in the first place, which is going to make bosses more difficult. There is a way around that, though. Tonberry has commands called level up and level down. And so if you're a low level party and you need a rare drop or like you need a drop from a higher level enemy, you can level them up and beat them at a higher level to do that without having to level up to whatever it is, like 30 plus. That's great. I love that. Yeah. This game is extremely breakable in that yeah, because of that. One of the reasons yeah. because of that. Well, and that's, you know, one of the reasons why people love this game, why this game has such a strong reputation is that it is the most breakable Final Fantasy game. Extremely. Something we'll probably get into as, as the season goes on is that the ways to break it add a lot of time taxes that mean that you have to do some slog in order to break it. And that is what I think turns some people off, which makes sense. Mm-hmm. So AP is used by Guardian Forces, which we will talk about a lot later to learn new skills. It is worth noting that boss battles do not give XP, they only give AP. The way the system is designed, it is possible to beat the game without gaining a single level, although um, it would also uh, kind of be turds to do that. I've done it. It's, uh, <laughs> it's annoying, but there are ways you can make that not terrible uh, like don't need to get into it now i'll probably talk about it like later on in the season but yeah there are ways in which you can avoid gaining experience for any battle and it's it's not as hard as you think okay i can't keep my silence on this one okay i, I have no idea what you're talking about with this being the most breakable final fantasy in a series that involves two five and tactics uh, it diff <laughs> those are well, different I mean, kinds of breaking though those are this is kind of external systems manipulation that the game front loads to be like hey break this it whereas like two you have to hit yourself in the head a million fucking times and no you don't you put on yeah, two I, shields I, you I, go into three battles and you're good yeah, no, I see, I, I see what you're saying. I still think that eight is the most breakable in that there are like seven ways to break it wide open instead of like two. And I, I mean, I don't know if it's is with those other games. Can you break it like in the first like 10 percent of the game and then basically yes. cruise for the rest of it? OK, OK. I've not really and, and, played yeah. any of those games a lot. I played them a little bit, but I've also played them pretty much naturally. I won't get into the we need to determine what's number one with a bullet right now but i'm going to say that my pixel remaster playthrough of two led to me literally being unhittable after about an hour of play oh my everyone God. had 99 of eight hell yeah that, that's awesome <laughs> uh but anyway the way you break this game is the junction system which is 
the entirety of the battle mechanics and character growth mechanics are tied into this. And it's also the thing that you'll hear about the most other than, you know, especially when people talk about drawing magic and stuff like the juncture system is the innovation for the game. And it is essentially a more abstracted and expanded version of the materia system from final fantasy seven. But instead of attaching skill orbs into equipment spots to apply skills or other modifiers, you use the guardian forces, uh, which are, you know, again, we'll talk about it later, but yeah, these, 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 um, these summons girlfriends, your girlfriends that you, uh, uh, you know, apply and you try to have as many of them as possible at once. And, (laughs) uh, no, and, uh, and magic to the character. So you you use the guardian forces and you use magic and it increases your stats or changes certain things. But, you know, because of the enemy's level scaling, uh, leveraging the junction system effectively is the only way to push ahead of the power curve. And, to say like that can turn into a big bummer about the breakability about it, because if you really know what you're doing, or even if you moderately know what you're doing, you're going to basically be so strong that all you got to do is mash attack and you'll be able to win pretty much almost every battle in the game and be nigh unkillable. And it can be a bummer for some people. I know that's part of the reason why Chris is not interested because you break the game and it's over essentially. And you could do this very early on if you know where to look. Very briefly, it's it's worth mentioning that the, one of the reasons why Chris Taylor is not on this season is that he does not respect uh, the breakability of Final Fantasy VIII because he wants games to be breakable in hidden sicko ways and not to be front-loaded. Uh, <laughs> and so he does not respect Final Fantasy VIII for giving you the keys to break it so obviously and blatantly. Oh, so he doesn't, he doesn't think he's clever <laughs> therefore yes uh-huh. Uh-huh. Uh, so gfs are a summon creatures that you can assign to characters and b the second most unfortunate abbreviation in all of jrpgs <laughs> they learn skills use no no number one with a bullet will always be craft points abbreviating to cp in a series that has the epstein foundation in it Oh no! Woof, yes. Woof 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 woof. Yikes! Woof yikes. Thanks, trails. Jeez. Uh, <laughs> oh, I mean, we've already we ran into CP in um, Final Fantasy Thirteen, right? Crystalian points. Yeah, but you didn't have to hear <laughs> yeah. about Professor Epstein's amazing inventions the whole time. Yeah, Jesus yeah. Christ, yikes! Yeah. I did not know that. It's okay. You don't meet. We've later learned like five games and 10 years down the road that it was a her for a while. So it's very background, but it's still like, mm-hmm. hmm. Hmm. love hearing hmm. about my CP regeneration. Great. So uh, you learn skills using ability points earned in battle and GFs can learn things like battle commands, you know, magic item draw. Uh, Stat junction abilities that allow you to turn magic into boosts to one of your attributes. Elemental and status effect attack and defense. Do you want your hands to be made out of petrification? Sure, you can do that. Mm -hmm. Magic refined skills that let you turn items into charges of magic. A lot of things are transmutable in this game in horrible, very philosopher's stone-like ways. (laughs) Damage and stat buffs in 20% increments up to a 60% Mm -hmm. 
stackable bonus, and various other weird utilities like card mod, where you can turn cards into items. Remember when we said earlier that the card game became so key to this? This mm-hmm. is part of it. Yep. Whenever you get a new Guardian Force or whenever a Guardian Force finishes learning a new ability, uh, it's a good tip to immediately go into the menu and select their next ability to learn. Otherwise, the game will default select the next skill, and it's likely that it's going to be something that you don't really want, like summon magic plus 20%. The summons seem like an overpowered win button at first, but you really don't want to abuse them too much because uh, they take a really long time and very quickly get outclassed. So that's why summon magic plus 20, not that great of an ability. It is yeah. worth checking learning progress for your Guardian Forces before a boss because uh, there's no AP rollover. So if a Guardian Force only needs 5 AP to finish a skill but gains 50 AP from a boss fight, you end up losing 45 AP. That involves taking yourself out of the game in ways that I don't really mm-hmm. like. I don't like looking up where bosses are going to be. I don't like consulting yeah, a guide. yeah. Yeah, but usually there's a there's a save point pretty close by and like sure. Oh, yeah. uh, this is a boss fight. Like if you want to reset, you can do that. If you if you get a feeling that you haven't had a boss fight in a while, you can check. It's just yeah, a good idea true. to keep an eye on those things. Mm-hmm. So you can also teach skills to GFs using scroll items. Note that each GF can only carry 22 skills max, but there is an item called amnesia greens that can be used to have a GF forget an ability to free up some of those slots, but chances are you probably won't need to worry about that. It really only matters if you're going full sicko for the final boss. Like if you really want any party combination to work, you can use these and have everybody be like fully kitted out, but it's not worth the effort. Like don't stress yourself out. Mm -hmm. GFs also level with experience with the characters and uh, their experience is actually split between the other GFs. Like your AP when you earn like five AP and you have like two GFs, they don't split that, but it does split your experience points between them, which is interesting. Some skills only become available to learn after a GF hits a certain level. Yeah. There's also some, there's, there's some other side bits like the affinity system where the number of times you summon a guardian force, like they become like affiliated with you. They like you more and then they will come out faster because there's a timer that happens after you start summoning and that can be faster or slower depending on how many times you've summoned them but the more you summon one the less the other ones like you but there there are items that can manipulate this you don't need to care about this at all it's just weird that they put it in the game you will only get three gfs in the first hour of the game renoa selfie and quistus the rest must be procured either by drawing them from bosses or defeating them in a side quest it is worth checking every possible boss to see if you can draw a GF from them, because you can miss some ones that are near essential and have a bad time. There is a way to collect all of the ones that you miss, but it is late on the final disc, and you would then need to AP grind them to get them up to any usable state. However, it is also the final disc of the game, and there will be an easy way to do that. So... As kind of previously mentioned, uh, you can summon attacks with the GF battle command. Most of these are elemental attacks that hit all enemies, but there are also ones that inflict status effects or give you party-wide buffs. Shout out to Carbuncle. 
Mm -hmm. Uh, When you summon, the character's health and active time battle bar are replaced with the Guardian Forces, and there is a countdown until the summon occurs. The Guardian Force will eat any damage that occurs for that character during the summoning time and can be knocked out. Healing and reviving GFs uh, take specialized items and are a huge pain in the ass, but chances are you'll never need to worry about this. Yeah, like if you're summoning and then like a boss puts in a super move and kills your guardian force, like, well, but it's probably not going to happen to you until maybe late game. And that's if you're summoning at all, because as we mentioned before, it's like one of the ways in which people say, like, I played this game and I got real bored was because they kept summoning over and over and over again. Mm -hmm. And like the longest summon in this game is like two minutes and 45 seconds. Like that's a long ass time. And the worst part is that there's a system called, there's a skill you can learn called boost that is a mashing mini game that happens during the animation that it can boost your damage up to 250%. But if you fuck it up, it cuts it down to 75% damage, like original damage. And so like, you're thinking, I want to maximize my damage. I'm going to do this mashing thing constantly during these long animations. And it sucks and it's exhausting and don't do it. Yeah, it's also worth mentioning up top, even though this is the very it's a mechanics heavy that, you know, there's always some kind of upgrade or customization mechanic in Final Fantasy games that they tie back into the main plot. So, you know, Magisite in Final Fantasy VI, Materia in Final Fantasy VII, but the like using materia to slot into your weapons and shit feels a little bit disconnected from how they're like using materia in the plot of the game you know there's there's just a little bit of a disconnect usually i feel like with final fantasy 8 the way that guardian forces factor into the plot is so directly tied to how you use Mm -hmm. them mechanically in in a way that it's you know (laughs) they talk a lot about (laughs) gfs in this game uh and Uh i i I think it's neat. I don't think that they stick the landing, but I think it's neat how deeply they incorporate this customization system into the story. They could have done a better job with the plot version, to be yeah. honest. Like, I don't think we ever find out where they come from originally. Like, we get like a couple of lines if you're digging about the sorceresses, but yeah. I don't remember if the GFs are really explained other than they just exist in the world. Um, yeah, there's some database entries, but you're right. We It, it never fully squares the circle. Huh. Didn't even. Sh- God right. damn it. So, I didn't even mean it like that. <laughs> <laughs> That's the second time you've run into a really yep. bad pot on recording. <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, magic, as we mentioned before, is collected in discrete numbers of casts or charges up to a hundred times per character. Then you can junction those casts of magic to stats, elemental affinities, etc. Each magic has a certain stat that it is stronger on and certain stats it is weaker on. Like for instance, curative spells like cure greatly boost hit points, but not strength so much. Whereas like a fire spell would do strength, but not hit points so much. And a lot of the experimentation is figuring out, you know, how to balance those things against each other and, you know, balance which characters have which junctions unlocked. So there's a lot of like mixing and matching your GFs and your and your magics to sort of maximize your party. 
So there are two ways you can gain magic. As we mentioned earlier, there is the draw skill, which you can... Basically, it's a steal for the metaphysical to take things from mm -hmm. enemies in battle. Or from draw points, which are basically galactic trash cans outside of battle. Unfortunately, the number of casts you gain per draw is RNG-dependent and appears to have a cap of 10 max. It is somewhat influenced by your and the enemy's magic stats. Draw attempts can also, just as a nice bonus, outright fail because, you know, RNG. So I, I have to admit this because I actually got this wrong. So it is capped at nine casts in battle, but there are draw points on the map, and I've seen draws of like 12 to 15 sometimes, but it's rare. Usually you're getting fewer than 10 per draw. Especially okay. if it's a more powerful spell, and depends on your level and stats. Yeah, A lot of people will complain that they basically have to run around ripping people's metaphysical throats out, or just <laughs> scrounging around in the trash cans of the universe and dumpster diving for firagas, but instead you're not supposed to draw a hundred of every new spell, but use the refining mag RF skill. Items that you pick up from defeating an enemy, or stealing from an enemy, because it turns out your hands can do that too, mm -hmm. uh, can also be transformed into casts of magic, as well as items gained from card modding, which, again, transmutation is a giant portion of Final Fantasy VIII's mechanics. Yeah. It's so funny because, yeah, it like having to draw 100 of each new spell each time you see one is extremely tedious but uh you also don't have to do it but so many people mm -hmm. it's you know it once again this game the basic way that it most clearly communicates to play it is boring as hell which is drawing 100 of each magic yeah as soon as you see it and spamming guardian force boost uh to get through boss battles and that is a way to have a bad time with this game yeah, it's definitely like trading tedium for strength. And even then, you could get stronger doing it a different way. <laughs> exactly. I will also point out that the new upgraded port of this game contains a lot of inbuilt cheat functions, one of which just allows you to skip a lot of this. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you could either speed up three times, which makes drawing super fast in real time, or you can... Um, basically max out your stats you give yourself max stats mm -hmm. which is like hilariously broken but <laughs> you could do it if you just if you want to do the story version of this game and not do any of the work you could totally do that that is fine and if you're on pc there are very convenient save editors which can be used on at least some of the playstation versions because of the fact that it used a virtual memory card which it can edit both types of file mm-hmm since there's a lot of character switching that happens due to plot, there's also a very handy-dandy switch function in the party menu that allows you to wholesale swap guardian forces and magic between characters. This was in the era where every character was interchangeable aside from their special moves, so there weren't, like, you could create different builds for different people, but, like, there was no real point. Everybody was kind of a jack-of-all-trades. The plus side is that you really only need to configure junctions for three characters, and the game kindly lets you swap even if characters aren't around. The downside is that this makes all... Yeah, it, it's a generic 
generic character PlayStation era RPG issue. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the the one thing that gets annoying though is if you're in a scene that only has two characters, because that happens a couple of times, then you would end up breaking up your third character's junctions, you know, GFs between the other two and have to rebuild them when you go back. You don't have to, but you'll probably miss out on some AP for your GFs during that stretch if you don't. Mm-hmm. But totally up to you. Uh, so the main thing, though, that still is differentiated between the characters are the limit breaks. When a character is in low health, which is indicated by their HP turning yellow at under 25%, uh, they have a chance, because RNG, of course, to use their unique limit break desperation move. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's kind of one of the things. Of, but yeah, whether or not the limit break prox is RNG dependent and based upon an invisible meter called the crisis level. <laughs> crisis level. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Like, this is not mentioned in the game at all. Yeah, but like your crisis level goes up depending on how bad of a time your party's having so like if one character is in critical health or knocked out and two of them are healthy you're probably only at a crisis level one or two if multiple characters are low health or knocked out it goes up and so if one of your characters is in critical status you will have a higher chance of getting it to show up now the way you can cheat this is just you mash triangle which is the change change character turn button if you keep mashing that over and over again, you'll eventually get it to proc. There's especially a little twinkly sound uh, when you get it. And you can tell because oftentimes you're, um, there's a little arrow next to your attack menu option. And then also sometimes the menu widens because the the attack name is longer than attack. So it's clearly like, oh, this looks different. You'll know when you hit it, but I've definitely had multiple times over and over again when I'm mashing triangle and I just move past it. <laughs> Yeah. and switch again yeah. and then have to do it again well yeah rather than use a limit break you should just move past and heal <laughs> <laughs> uh but anyway we'll talk about the characters individual limit breaks as they join during the game uh because there's just no time to go over all of that now yeah so a couple things number one uh it is a really satisfying twinkly sound it it is <laughs> one of my one of my favorite just like menu noises or you know like selection noises in all of JRPGs. That's point number one. Point number two, there is a spell called Aura, which if you yes, don't yes. junction it to one of your stats and instead you cast it, will put someone. It will basically like simulate a someone being in critical status without their health being below twenty five percent. So you can mm-hmm. cast Aura and then do the same, like, you know, triangle, 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 limit break thing. One pro strat for the game, once you have uh, Squall's limit break fully built up, which we will talk about in the next section for weapons, is to just, like, put haste max on him and any, like, limit break, you know, increasing skills, and then just have him at, like, 100 HP the whole game and just mm-hmm. spam Renzo Kukin when it when it pops up. Yeah, yeah. The, th- the nice thing, though, in terms of balance, it's it's probably the only place where this is well balanced is that Aura is a really hard cast to find. Like, you don't get a lot of them. I don't think any enemies have it drawable. 
and you can get it from aura stones and turn that into casts of aura but they're surprisingly rare mm-hmm. i think the one problem with aura though is i think if you are especially with like super bosses i think if you have aura status and then you use an invincibility item like a hero or a holy war i think it negates aura completely like it oh. erases it which is or really it, frustrating it like yeah using using invincibility invincibility uh it, like drastically reduces your level of crisis points yeah that might i think it, it does work if you are in critical status and you're invincible you'll mm. be able to proc it a lot so word, word, it's word. just that the aura status gets removed which is weird So, you'd think with all this talk of items, there would be a very fleshed-out system of equipment, but no, the only one in the game is weapons. You all have weapon slots, but not like you're thinking. Because, you see, everyone's just got one style of weapon, and if you have the correct parts, you can upgrade it into a higher class at weapon shops in various cities. Do you want to know what the recipes to upgrade them are? Well, clearly, you need to do things that a functioning society would have, by buying the Weapons Monthly magazine, (laughs) an actual thing that can support itself based on the stuff that one person uses a month. However, (laughs) if you happen to have the correct items on hand, you can upgrade without finding the magazine. For most of the time, you're going to need a reference. Uh, The best way to get these items, because otherwise you're at the mercy of RNG, are card modding and the mug command. You know, Weapons Monthly makes more sense when you remember this world revolves around, like, uh, mercenary academies. (laughs) (laughs) So there's a lot of people that need weapons. It's the fact that the the magazines only have one person's gear in them, though. Well, it's one level for each person for each person. Oh, okay. Uh, For some reason, my brain had taken that from the ones I'd seen as this month, Squall. So never mind. No, it's funny because like, yeah, weapons monthly number two has like the second level for everyone. And then three has the second level. Okay, never mind. (gasps) This season's weapons. Got it. That magazine title, Weapons Monthly. What the fuck are we doing? I mean, I know that we have guns and ammo magazine (laughs) out here for sure. Like that's real. But yo, weapons monthly. Do you know what's a real magazine that I subscribed to for years? Guns and Garden. That's a real thing. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It is the most southern thing you could think of. It has some great pie recipes, too. (laughs) (laughs) The upgrades are not sequential, so you can go from the original weapon straight to the top level weapon if you want. You don't have to get all the ones in between. The stat gains for upgrades are pretty minimal, just um, a few points of strength and hit percentage, with one exception. With certain gunblade upgrades for Squall, he gains new finishing moves for his limit break, Renzo Kuken. Really, the big deal is the Lionheart finisher you get from his ultimate weapon, Lionheart, because it is an enormous multi-hit combo. 
It does a shit ton of, ton of damage, especially late in the game. You can rattle off like a dozen 9999 hits. This was back from the era uh, before Final Fantasy 13, where 9999 was the technical max single damage thing, but you could string like a bunch of them together with Lionheart. Yeah. And like, you know, the final or like secret bosses in this game have like hundreds of thousands of hit points. So it's very helpful for that. <laughs> yeah. So after the first few hours of the game, you will join the mercenary group called Seed. And that is spelled capital S, lowercase e, e, capital case D. I don't know why it's spelled that way. It just is. I guess it looks mm. cool. Your salary is how you primarily get money in the game. Uh, you get paid in regular intervals. And uh, the, the math behind this is wild. So, like, supposedly it is every 24,575 steps you will get paid. However, each step your character makes is a different number of steps, depending on if you're in town or on the world map, or if you're turning around, or if you're in a car, or if you're in a chocobo. There are all these different rules about, like, how the steps work. It's wild. But every time you get paid, you get paid based on your seed rank. So like rank seven, that's you 7,000 gil. Your rank is initially determined by your performance in the fire cavern and field exam and also some random other events. And as you move forward, there are other events that can raise or lower your rank uh, in ways that are actually pretty funny. But it doesn't tell you in the moment. You only find out when you get paid. And this is absolutely infuriating. Every time you get demoted, it feels bad, even if it doesn't matter. <laughs> but yeah, like the way it works under the hood is super interesting, but you don't really need to know it. The thing is, you can go up, you can go down. It's based on how many enemies you kill. These other things that you can do during the game. And then you could also raise or lower your rank based on tests you can take in the menu. There are 99 of them. You can only take tests up to your current level, I think, or I think it's Squall's current level. But really, this doesn't much matter at all. Money really isn't a big deal in this game. Maybe a little bit early on when you're trying to buy more like Phoenix Downs because those are a little pricey, but d don't stress out about your rank. Don't stress out about money. I, I don't know. It. It was pretty easy to just totally ignore the test taking aspect of like raising your rank and then realizing, oh shit, fighting monsters doesn't give me any money at all. And then you're getting like 100 gil every couple of hours and then money is a big deal. So like, don't ignore this. <laughs> like, yes, it is less important <laughs> than it seems, but you still want to do the rank ups because it's the, it is the only way that you actually get any money. And while it's not a huge deal in this game, you still do need money for some things. Yeah, I mean, there are you can sell items, of course. I wasn't going to mention this yet, but like there is uh, an arbitrage loop that you can give yourself infinite money later on in the game, but you have to know what it is. It's not like handed to you. <laughs> Uh, but that's a late game thing. Okay. Then there's the thing that a lot of people love from this to the point that it has been revived as its own thing in the currently running MMORPG Final Fantasy XIV something something free trial something something space. Uh, Triple Triad, the card game. What? I haven't played it since it was new. I haven't played it since I haven't played it at expansion Triple Triad. All my knowledge is from listening to... All my knowledge on Final Fantasy fourteen came from listening to icons and icons. Yeah, it uh, fucking triple triad. 
is it was the first time that I had ever stumbled across like a mini game that was like fully featured and robust. And I got deep, deep into it. There is a lot of strategy that goes into it. Once you like start getting into the alternate rule sets that they start introducing it, fuck like triple triad fucking whips and it, Mm -hmm. it can be frustrating the way that it's implemented in the game and like who you play against and how you get cards and all of that. But like, you can lose a lot of hours to just playing triple triad for fun. And I do because every time you lose, I reset the game because <laughs> you lose <laughs> your best card. <laughs> I will complain about this next episode a lot because I had a really bad time uh, in this, the show run of this getting my card deck up. Oh, so you're a coward is what you're saying. Resetting when you lose a card when you lose the ifrit card you're fucked like there's just no way coming back from that and you have to f- get your card yeah. back yeah That's this fair. game feels like rocket tag tic-tac-toe <laughs> <laughs> hmm? i am not a fan hmm. but yes the winner will gain cards from the loser's hand based on the different rules in play these start to mutate i haven't seen many of them yet but if you lose, you are going to lose the best card you have. So uh, that's great, because then you are now at a deficit trying to win it back from them. Good game. Wonderful. <laughs> I mean, li- listen, back like back when this was first created in the late 90s, Magic the Gathering, the most popular card game on Earth at the point where they where this game was being made, still used an anti-system where people would anti-valuable cards and you would gain or lose them in tournaments. It wasn't just cash. It was like you could steal someone's best card from their deck as well. So like there is precedent in the world at the time for a card game to work like this. The difference with the anti-system is that you were choosing the cards you might lose. Yeah, it's fair. Yeah, yeah. This is not, I lost, this bitch took my Black Lotus. Right. Yeah, and the thing is also the way the balance works is that the cards that are good are extremely good, and then the cards you can like start off with at least are really trash. You know, it's a real kick in the dick when sure, you sure. lose a card like that. It's so much better in this version of the game <laughs> compared to the original. Oh my god. Well, y'all have fun gushing. <laughs> Listen, listen, you took us all the way through Hackox and was and we're go you were you were going to get into the secret like cut levels of Hackox. Uh-huh. Uh, th- yeah, I, I think did. this is Hackox salt right here. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I'm sure this is Hack Karma. I get it. But it doesn't mean that I have to say it's a good game as a result. That's fair. No. fair. I totally get it. Like I've I I've like lost a lot of my love for triple triad over the years like i still kind of like it but yeah the way it's implemented can be very frustrating but yeah it's a three by three grid you're trying to flip cards using numbers on that are on the uh, cardinal directions on each card they go from basically one to ten and uh each turn is like the initial turn is started by rng the cards that your opponents use are rng and they can vary very wildly in strength at times. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, it's a it's a whole deal. Also worth mentioning in the triple triad section is that 
the music for Triple Triad sounds like a a preset melody for Old West Saloon being played on a Casio tone. Like, you know, those like demo <laughs> songs that play uh, on those, you know, uh-huh. chintzy toy keyboards. It's that, but for like, yeah, Old West Gambling Saloon is what it sounds like to me. Oh, that's very funny. Yeah, I mean, like, in the old version of this game, like, each card game took, like, a few seconds to load up, and you would hear the beginning of that song so, so, so much waiting for the thing to load. And you know that you loaded a really, like, strong AI that you're playing against when it took extra time to load up? And and all of this is, and also it would take longer to pick selections because otherwise the computer just goes immediately. But uh, in this new, in the new version, it loads up super fast, which is great. I love it. So there are tons of little rules within rules uh, once you like get out of the basic kind of template of triple triad Uh, some of these rules add new wrinkles that are interesting like adding elemental buffs and debuffs and others are extremely frustrating uh like random where your deck is randomly picked out of your collection so if you like don't continually cull your trash cards you might get absolutely fucked (laughs) or like what if what if it's like diablos and then a whole bunch of trash cards and then you're gonna lose and Mm -hmm. you're gonna lose diablos (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Big Random's the worst. (laughs) Yeah. We're going to bring them up when they become relevant. Uh, We're not going to discuss them all at once. Uh, And also, it's like, it. yeah, yeah. They'll come up when they come up. Each region in the world has a default set of, like, regional rules that it uses. However, rules will uh, spread across regions based on where you are challenging other players. Whether or not rule spreads occur is another thing that is RNG-based. Shoutouts to my boy Kawazu. However, there (laughs) is a specific pattern of rule devolution. So, after enough time, the rules will settle into a specific set. This is extremely cool in concept and doesn't really make much meaningful difference because... Because, like, Final Fantasy VIII doesn't have the world's best sense of place. Like, there's, there is, there are geopolitics, yeah. there are regions of the world, but it, something like this, if the game had a more pronounced sense of place, could add to that. But because there's not much for it to attach onto, it's just kind of neat to read about. Yeah, yeah. And some of them are like, oh, there are special rules for Sentra. There's, like, nothing in Sentra. There's right. just one place right. you can exactly. play cards and two people you can play cards in the in that whole section. Yeah. But it has its own set of rules that you can accidentally spread elsewhere that are annoying, like uh like closed, yeah. where you can't see your opponent's hand at all, and so you get surprise fucked a lot. <laughs> <laughs> oh oh god. god. Yeah, it gets surprise real bad. Surprise fucked. Uh don't like that phrase at all. Anyway. Oh um, good, yeah, good point. Good point. I didn't think of it. <laughs> surprise owned you get surprise owned by cool. thanks thank you yeah. thanks. rocket yeah. tagged uh-huh <laughs> so if you don't like the rule set in a region there is an npc named the queen of cards who will manipulate the rule sets between regions for thirty thousand gil however how this works is you guessed it also based on rng oh god like the queen of cards thing is that like it's RNG whether or not you find her, whether or not she's in a location. Yeah. 
and also mm-hmm. uh or which location she moves to next that like you can find out there are ways to track her down but like it's random which where which places she goes she needs to be in the region that you're trying to change and the rule that she changes is also rng amazing amazing it's shit wild no notes 10 out of 10 fuck to this uh there's a yeah th- so there's this whole, whole queen of cards side quest it's not worth going all the way through unless you're a completionist so if you're serious about doing the major cards card side quests use a guide because otherwise you're going to be wandering around for hours and hours and also potentially missing stuff yeah. i don't like guide required side quests i they yeah. make me extremely mad so i am going to be avoiding this like the plague yeah, this is like the peak uh, of that for me, at least when it comes to side quests. I think this era is probably the worst in that regard. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the real reason you want to play, though, is because of Quetzalcoatl's card mod skill, which, as we mentioned before, turns cards into items, which you can refine into magic. This is how you p- completely break the power curve because you can get mid and late game magic way before you'll encounter them in the wild. So, you know, if you're going for a really broken playthrough, you're going to play a lot of triple triad at the beginning uh, because there's uh, like two cards in particular that you really want. The super powerful cards, the most powerful cards in the games are the ones that are based upon party members and major story NPCs, and then also major bosses as well. But those two are like the strongest uh, these cards are both super good to have because they like a lot of them, most of them will have like a level in at least one place, if not two. So they're really strong, which is a being 10, like the highest rank. But uh, the high level cards can also be modded into extremely powerful items. Uh, most of these bestow GF abilities, but some of them can also be refined into end game level magic as well. Uh, you can usually infer who has a major character card like zell's mom has zell's card and like that's pretty easy to guess Uh, it's so cute in some cases uh the card that is a certain npc has is a hint like who has squall's card is very pointed (laughs) (laughs) however the thing that's infuriating about this is that they don't always use this card because it's also rng yep yep so like if a, if a character has like an S tier card or like an A tier card, they will not use it every hand because their hand is rolled every time through a set. And so you can end up challenging a character multiple, multiple times to get them to even use their card. So it's probably the most frustrating thing because you're like, I know I want to play one game of this, this person. It'll show up every like five or six times you challenge them in the RNG seed. And then when it does show up, you have to win. <laughs> And you don't always win. Sometimes you draw, sometimes you lose. And uh, it's really annoying. But yeah, that's Triple Triad. And are there any other things that you want to bring up? That's the last of my notes here for this game. But yeah, a lot of mechanics up front. Mm -hmm. I got nothing right now. Okay. Yeah, I I feel like we did a good, like, high-level summary of a lot of the mechanics in play. It, it It is a... It's a weird ass game because it is both one of the more mechanically robust and interconnected Final Fantasies where each Mm -hmm. mechanic informs the other mechanics in the play. 
and also one of the most lol randomly tuned Final Fantasies uh, outside yep. of FF2. And so those two things don't always play well together and it can be pretty frustrating. But I do like how it's like, yeah, there's, there's, there, there's no in-universe reason why you can synthesize playing cards into powerful magic items. Mm-hmm. Like that doesn't make any fucking sense, but I love that it's there. I, nope. it, it's one of the, it's the story of final fantasy eight for me, like the general tenor of final fantasy eight is that it is almost an incredible game in 18 different directions. And it whiffs hard yeah. in every single direction, at least once. <laughs> and I admire uh-huh. it for that. Yeah, that tracks. Yeah. yeah, like this game is so over engineered in a lot of ways. And like, I think like the way like RNG is fed into it in so many ways also is one of those things. Like, it just seems like it's systems on top of systems on top of systems. And a lot of them don't ultimately matter at the end of the day. Like, there's ones that you really need to pay attention to. And there's like the affinity system for GFs, you didn't need that. It doesn't matter at all. But they thought of it and they put it in the game and there's math behind it, which is wild. Yeah. The the funny thing is like a lot of people when they say like, oh, yeah, I played Final Fantasy VIII and I just didn't get the junction system at all, which I still I know that I have, again, Stockholm Syndrome in this game and I just know too much about it. But it's kind of wild to me that you can't at least like people get really stumped by it. But then Mm. again, you know. There's a huge menu tax. That's the one thing we haven't talked about. You spend a lot of time in the menus and there's several layers deep of menus and you can get lost in there. And I think that is definitely an interface problem. There is one nice thing though, is that there are options to auto junction. So like if you want, there's um, attack defense and I think one is like balance. So like, if you just want to like, Hey, I have all this magic. I don't want to like, play around with it. I'm just going to have the computer pick all the best ones. So I'm as strong as possible. You can do that. And it's super easy. And sometimes it's worth using that as a starting ground to just save you the time of equipping a bunch of things before you make minor changes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And then like you can customize. Yeah. You can customize from there, from the particular, like if you know, an element might be coming up, like if you're hanging out in the fire cavern, and you have ice skills and you can put that on your elemental attack, you can do that. And it's just a minor change. It won't automatically do that when you select, you know, magic or attack as your um, optimization path. But yeah. Oh, word. Stone fist, the statue who fists is coming up. Maybe I want petrify resistance. <laughs> mm, yep. Yep. <laughs> notable, notable Final Fantasy recurring boss, stone fist. <laughs> well, I was trying to go with just a random thing because I know... This one goes outside the usual lanes. Like, I know we don't have a Ramu. Mm. Uh, yeah, there's no Ramu because uh, Quetzalcoatl replaced Ramu. <laughs> so I was just thinking, what's the what's the weirdest possible joke that would also allow me to make a deathbed joke? There you go. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, anyway, do you guys have anything to share with the listeners? Uh, you could find all of my works on and off the network at hellscaper.com. You can listen to Chris and I's premium pitch drop podcast, 
icons and icons by contributing to our patreon for as little as a dollar a month it is this podcast but about final fantasy 14 the mmo we are so close to being in heaven's word we did uh the main campaign of a realm reborn in a year and we did all of the kind of side content that opens up after a realm reborn plus the realm reborn patches also in a year so year three of the podcast is going to be heaven's word the critically acclaimed expansion to the critically acclaimed mmorpg also i've got some mm-hmm. music but uh it fucking sucks so i'm not gonna tell you what the link is <laughs> brian you know you could have been heaven's word much sooner than three years all you had to do was ask jesus right <laughs> 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 uh or like learn the words of lemagaton or whatever right <laughs> uh so you can listen to boku no stop our anime watch along podcasts because there is a free version where we are currently covering lupin the third the woman called fujiko mine and our premium version for patron backers only where we are covering death note and as a non-network thing, uh, you could also read uh, my Yuri manga reviews on Okazu, okazu.yurikon.com. Uh, I've been writing a lot of those lately. Uh, there's actually a filter underneath uh, reviewers now, so you can find my reviews very easily if you want to do. It's been a lot of fun doing that. Hell yeah. But that's all until next time when we'll be talking about the beginning of the game through the training center boss. See ya. Bye. Bye.